Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Henry Emmons about the chemistry of joy. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to The Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently launched my newest book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, and it is currently on Kickstarter to raise production costs. So if you would be so kind as to check out the Kickstarter and pre-order your book, that would be wonderful. I'm very excited about it. And you can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And also be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope while you're there. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zellmer. Today, I am very excited for our guest. Dr. Henry Emmons, MD, is a psychiatrist who integrates mind, body, and natural therapies, mindfulness, and neuroscience into his clinical work. He is a founder of Partners in Resilience, committed committed to integrating the best in nutrition, movement, natural therapies, and the psychology of mindfulness to help restore resilience and rediscover joy. Henry is the author of The Chemistry of Joy, The Chemistry of Calm, and Staying Sharp, and is in demand as a workshop and retreat leader for both healthcare professionals and the general public. And I am very thrilled to have Dr. Emmons here today. Um, I had the opportunity to hear him um, keynote at a conference recently, and so I'm very, very thrilled um, to share him with all of you today. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Amy. I'm happy to be here. Well, and I'm very thrilled to have you. Um, you you just you really struck a chord in me when I heard you at the keynote. Um, you know, just discussing, um, you know, just depression and anxiety and how prevalent it is um, in the country. And I'm I'm just I'm really excited. This is a topic that comes up over and over and over again in my Facebook group. Um, I have about 8,200 TBI survivors and caregivers in my tribe, and I'm just I'm really really excited. I think this is a topic that everybody needs to hear. So I would love to have you start with sharing a little bit of your background and just kind of how you've come to be where you are and, and you've offered authored three books, which is just amazing. So I would love to hear just a little bit about your background. 
Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I am a psychiatrist and have been working now for, gosh, I think 27 years um, uh, in and around the Twin Cities. And I, I started out really just having an interest, kind of a background interest in holistic therapies and uh, nutrition and exercise. And then within about the first uh, two or three years of my psychiatric career, I learned about the work of John Kabat-Zinn and his mindfulness meditation program uh, that he was doing in Massachusetts. And I went and trained with him back in 1994. And that really kind of shifted the course of my career. I just began learning uh, how, to, how to work with people in groups, how to incorporate more um, mindfulness skills, and really to think about um, about mental health in a different way, kind of taking some of the mystery out of it, thinking about what people can do for themselves rather than just what they can get from a therapist or a medication. And, um, and then since then, I have just uh, continued to expand on, on that, and I've incorporated a lot of natural therapies, which I'm also very interested in, uh, things that provide people alternatives to medications, um, learning more and more about how crucial sleep is for people's mental health and, and really just trying to focus more on skills and less on you know, prescriptions, and medications, and pills. And not that those don't have a place. They do have a place. But, um, but I think that we've, we as a society and as a medical community have, I think, have overemphasized what uh, role medications have and, and not done enough just to give people good quality skills that they can take with them after they leave our office. You know, and I, I've shared my short, my story with the listeners, but you haven't heard it yet. Um, when I was about 15 months after my fall, um, I was sent by my neurologist to see a neuropsychologist and have a neuropsychological exam done. And so the, the doctor met with me just once um, for about an hour, and she wanted to put me on Ritalin, antidepressants, and sleeping pills all in one mm -hmm. visit. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was of enough sound mind to know that those would just be a Band-Aid. Those weren't going to help me. And I kind of instinctually just knew, you know, putting this into my body, these chemicals are meant to alter our brain and I'm trying to heal my brain. So it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right to me. And I'm glad that I did not um, accept that because, you know, I was able to move forward um, without them. But so many people, I mean, just like everyone I meet has the same story and, you know, like you said, there definitely is a place for medicine. Um, but I, I just feel like so many doctors are like, oh, you're depressed. Here's some antidepressants. And they're not even digging deeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think, you know, brain injuries yeah. misunderstood to begin with. Um, and then throw in the fact that we're depressed and anxious on top of it. And doctors just, just don't know what to do with us. No, I, I think uh, I, I saw this happen about, oh, 15 or 20 years ago when there was a real effort, um, at least in Minnesota and I think nationally, to try to educate 
physicians, all kinds of physicians about depression and how to treat it, how to recognize it and treat it. And, and out of that, you know, there's been some good things have happened. A lot of people who perhaps used to go without any treatment at all have been identified as having depression, have been offered some kind of treatment. But the, the problem is that it is done, as, as with your story, it's done often very quickly without really understanding the, the root cause or, or how much of a difference can a medication really make. And, um, and then there, the, the, I think one of the biggest issues is that there aren't other, other therapies offered in many cases. A lot of people, medication is the only thing that they're offered. Um, and I do think it can help with symptoms, and sometimes that's incredibly valuable. Uh, but it doesn't always have the desired effect over the long term, and that's where we really have to be thinking about other things. You know, and about 10 months after my accident, so I fell in February on the ice, and so it was about 10 months later, oh, no, maybe about eight months later. It was about October when we started getting kind of that sleety, snowy stuff again had horrible anxiety and I didn't realize what it was. And, um, my doctor who was a chiropractor at the time, he, he, he totally noticed what was happening. He's like, Oh, you're having some, a panic attack. And so he connected me with the psychologist and we started doing, you know, talk therapy and it was just amazing. Um, you know, he was not judgmental. He totally understood like PTSD. Like I didn't even realize that's what was happening to me. And, you know, he never once even talked about medication. You know, we just talked through it. And, and in hindsight, I'm just so, so thankful that I found the right doctor right away. Um, you know, and, and I know that's one of the things you addressed in your keynote is talk therapy is important, you know, not just meet with the patient once, give them some medicine and send them on their way. Um, right. You know, continually meeting with that patient. And I feel like my therapist, like he really got to know me, you know, like it, it was a really, a really positive experience for me. That's great. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important to remember that a traumatic brain injury the, the trauma is not limited to the brain alone. It, it, it is a traumatic event, and it, it, it has an impact on the rest of the body, on the psyche, and on the emotions, and it takes time to recover from all the rest of it, too. Right. And, and in my case, I had um, a lot of physical injury. You know, I had a whiplash and a dislocated sternum. So I had a lot of physical chronic pain on top of, you know, having a brain injury. It wasn't just a one, you know, one thing that I was dealing with. I was dealing with multiple things, which I think is quite common, you know, like especially if you were in a car accident or any sort of um, uh, blunt force injury, Um, you know, and, and I just, depression, you know, I don't think it's necessarily that we are depressed. And, and I remember being very aware of this, like, okay, I'm feeling depressed, but more, I was just feeling like lonely and isolated. Um, and I was frustrated that I couldn't do the things that I had been able to do before. Um, but I, I also knew I wasn't like in a, in I don't know how to explain it. Like I knew I wasn't in just like depression. I knew it was more than that. Um, And, you know, I heard one um, psychologist speak to the fact, 
that a lot of brain injury survivors, they talk about things such as like, oh, I, I wish I went to survive the crash um, because they're feeling bad that their family has to take care of them or they're feeling lonely. Sure. But that doesn't necessarily sure. mean that they're suicidal, um, you sure. know, and would you be interested in talking to that at all? Oh, of course. You know, I think uh, I think a lot of people who who are struggling in some way. Um, this happens with children too. You know, who who are recovering from some kind of trauma or have some kind of significant illness. It's really common and uh, sort of a natural thought to 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 begin thinking about those around you who you think you're you're burdening. Now they almost certainly don't feel that way, at least not in the way that the person thinks. But but that's the thought that arises. And, you know, a lot of times um, what we will try to do in therapy or what we'll try and do with a mindfulness approach is it, it's not important really to root out that thought or, or to think that you shouldn't have a thought like that. What's important is to recognize that you're having it, just to, to be able to see it, um, to be conscious of it, and to know that it is just a thought. It's not true. That's where we get tripped up is when we think that something like that, something we are thinking is actually true, when in fact it is only a thought. We give it the semblance of truth because we think it. It, it really means something when most of the time it is something we've just conjured up. So, so it's really, you know, really helpful for people, whether it's through a, working with a therapist or, or engaging in some kind of an inner practice where they become able to observe their own thoughts and their, their, the, the activity of their own mind, at least enough that they can see that it's happening and learn not to identify quite so closely with it. Are you still there, Dr. Emmers? I am there, yes. Uh, he, yeah, the, it went dead for a little while. I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I um, I heard this loud beep, and it kicked me off. So, like I said, technology. Oh. <laughs> technology, you got to love it. <laughs> so I'm back. Okay. I, I apologize. I don't quite know where you left off there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kept talking, but I don't know where it, uh, <laughs> where it ended. So I know we were talking, you know, about suicidal ideations and, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I think everyone kind of experiences some of those thoughts. I know I went through a little bit of the, I was in so much pain, you know, I just didn't know how to handle the physical pain that I was dealing with. And, you know, I had moments where I was just like, gosh, you know, maybe if I just, jumped off a cliff I you know I wouldn't be in pain anymore I knew I wasn't going to do it but those thoughts entered my head and you know I shared mm-hmm. those with my psychologist and um, you know I mean it, it's somewhat natural to think that way and um, you know I hear yeah, you people know, in my group 
Go ahead. Well, no, you, you finish your thought. Oh, I was going to say the people in my group, you know, I hear often, you know, they come, they preface things with, no, I'm not going to kill myself, but, you know, I've been having these mm-hmm. thoughts. And, you know, I mean, we're very aware that we're not actually going to do it. And I think it's yeah. very healthy. I'm glad that the people talk about it in my group because I think it's very healthy to at least get it out of you. Oh, I think it is too. And I, when I hear something like that, I usually try to um, try to share some context because those kind of thoughts are actually very common. You know, people having those thoughts, especially if they've never had them before, it, it can be very disconcerting. But, but it's actually very common. And, and having a thought like that is very different than acting on it. It still is something to really take notice of, take seriously, talk about it, not just keep it inside. But it, it's helpful to recognize that it is just a thought. It has no more power than we give it. Um, it's a pretty natural reaction to any kind of uh, intense suffering. And, and it's, it's just another aspect of it that we have to be able to deal with as openly and honestly as we can. And what advice would you have for a caregiver or a loved one who has a TBI survivor in their life that does, you know, occasionally say things like that, you know, whether it's like, I wish I wouldn't just survive the car crash or, you know, whatever it is that they might be saying, what advice do you have to the caregivers? Because I know it's very, very scary for them to hear those words. No, it is scary. I think it's really, really tricky for caregivers because it is something to take seriously. You know, it's not something you want to just dismiss or pretend you didn't hear. Um, oftentimes it's, it's either an indication that the person is really, really struggling or sometimes it's a cry for help or, or a need to really have somebody hear this and take them seriously. So you, you've got to do that. But at the same time, it's important not to overreact and you know, to recognize that thinking it and saying it is not the same thing as acting on it. Um, I think that you know, for caregivers, they're in such a they're in such a hard spot because the the person they're taking care of might have so many needs and they're not equipped to meet all of them, or they don't have yeah. the, the time or the training or whatever. But they still have to be there for them, and I I just think that when it comes to that kind of statement or things like depression, it is really good to have someone else on the team, like a therapist who can deal with those things really directly and then leave the caregiver or family member to really just be a family member, to be a loved one, to be able to offer, you know, unwavering support, a listening ear, you know, to really let the person know that, no, we really love you. We want you to be here. This is not um, about, you know, you being a burden to us, you're, you're, we value you so much. And, you know, just to, to continue to give those, message, those messages without feeling like you have to talk the person out of it. You know, trying to talk someone out of their thoughts like that is really difficult. And, you know, even therapists will often not, not try and do that so much as just to listen and understand and, and allow the person to express themselves, and, and including everything that they're thinking and feeling. I think that is such a great point to not, don't try to talk them out of their thoughts 
Because I think that's what happens a lot. Oh, don't think that way. Oh, don't say that. Oh, you don't really mean that. And you yeah. don't know what I mean. <laughs> you know, like we get defensive. Yeah. Um, so just being really empathetic and compassionate, you know, I, I, I think that's the key right there. It is, and it's very hard to do it over the long haul. I, I realize that. Um, so, you know, you talked about sleep and how sleep is really important to our mental and brain health. And it's also something that is very elusive <laughs> to many people who have suffered a brain injury. We definitely deal with a lot of insomnia. Um, is there anything you would recommend? I know meditation has helped me um, and, and other people as well, but is there anything you recommend to help with getting more quality sleep when it is something that is a challenge? Oh, yeah. You know, I, let, me, let me first say that I think sleep is probably the most important aspect of self-care when it comes to depression. I think it's really a linchpin for getting the mood back on track and helping the brain work better, helping with memory. I mean, there's just so many things that we are totally dependent upon sleep, good quality sleep. And so anybody who's having a sleep problem, I would encourage you to stay with it, to keep working on that until it really is better. Don't give up because it's absolutely the, the linchpin to recovery for a lot of people. So in terms of what, what can you do about it, I think uh, you know, I'll just say a couple of, of things that I find helpful and my patients find helpful. One is that you have to be very, very diligent about keeping your circadian rhythm, your 24-hour cycle, as consistent as possible. And for most people, what that means is try to get up at the same time or very close to it every single day. So I, I tell my patients to not worry as much about when they go to bed. Hopefully that will correct itself and it will become very regular too. But the really important thing is, is to control when you get up and get out of bed and try to be within an hour of the same time every single day. Second thing that sounds really simple, but it can actually have a profound effect on sleep, and that is to really try to manage your exposure to light. Because our circadian rhythms are basically guided by, by the timing of the sunrise and sunset, so our exposure to light. And in the winter in Minnesota, that's obviously a little tricky. So what, what I think is really helpful is to have some bright light exposure in the morning, sometime within an hour or so of getting up, and then to really, really minimize the amount of light you're exposed to in the late evening say, for a couple of hours before bed, really, really low light. That can have a big effect. And then for some people, if they're simply not able to fall asleep or get into their, their sleep rhythm, it is okay to use something like melatonin for at least a short while. Um, I also do a lot with some gentle herbs that, that don't have any particular side effects. They're really low risk, things like um, valerian and passionflower, hops, and then um, there's a really, really good form of magnesium that is, I think, is just really helpful for sleep and calming, just calming brain activity. And it's called magnesium threonate. 
And I, a lot of people find that's a very, very simple, gentle thing. Taken before bedtime can really be helpful. Can you say that one again? Magnesium. It's magnesium threonate. T H R E O N A T E. You know, and if you want, I can give people a a resource uh, that I think they might find really useful, not just for for sleep, but for mood and anxiety. And it's a, a website called naturalmentalhealth.com. Naturalmentalhealth.com. Writing yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, a, it's actually a, a new website a colleague and I are, are putting together with lots of um, free information, including some courses people can take, including a course for sleep. And then just talking about and and making available some of those really simple uh, natural remedies. Awesome. You know, and I also, you know, I've been experimenting with essential oils. I um, have tried melatonin, uh, meditation, and I have found um, it's maybe like every six to seven weeks. I have a period where I can't sleep (laughs) and it usually lasts Mm. about five days. I actually track it on my calendar um, to see Mm, if there's any variables. Um, Once I finally started remembering to track it, um, you know, it's interesting. I I don't see a particular cycle. Um, I don't see it totally Mm. relating to anything, but I do know if I have had a very overstimulating day, and I'm exhausted, that is when I usually cannot sleep. Um, and I think yeah, that really yeah. interesting. You'd think you would just pass out, but our brains yeah. are just like, they're not, they're just so confused of what's happening um, that it's challenging to sleep when I've been overstimulated. Well, I think uh, I, I'm glad you brought up uh, the busyness of the day and maybe having a little more stressful day because I do think that that the, the one thing that most often gets in our way for sleep is, is if the stress hormones get a little bit elevated and they don't come down in the, at night as they're supposed to, um, that can really have a profound effect on sleep. And it, then it, it starts to kind of feed into itself. You know, if you don't sleep, you, get, you feel even more stressed. And then it, it, I think people sometimes have to just get completely exhausted before they break that cycle. Maybe that's what's happening for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the essential oils because I think aromatherapy is, for some people, it is such an effective thing, and it's so simple, so safe, um, really inexpensive. You know, I, I often use some aromatherapy blends in my practice, and I just find it very helpful. Yeah, I really, I really started diving into it in the last couple of years. I was using it before my brain injury, but once I was injured, I was, I just really started digging into it and how I could help heal myself a little more naturally than, you know, taking tons of ibuprofen every day. You know, um, I just, I just know that putting that stuff in your body just isn't good for you. So I wanted to find some more alternative um, uh, ways of helping with inflammation and pain and sleep. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a great idea. So we have just a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we talk about you have three books out. Um, You have The Chemistry of Joy, 
um, the chemistry of calm and staying sharp. And I do have a link for listeners in the show notes um, that they can find your books on Amazon. Um, but do you want to give us just a really brief overview of those books? Sure, sure. So The Chemistry of Joy was my first book. And it, it is a book about people trying to recover or prevent depression with natural means. So it, it has a lot about diet, a lot about different kinds of exercise, depending on the type of depression, uh, the pattern of it. Uh, talk a lot about sleep, but there's a probably the, the bulk of the book is really about about mindfulness and how to incorporate an understanding and some of the practices of mindfulness to work with those those thoughts and emotions more skillfully. The second book, The Chemistry of Calm, does something like that with anxiety. And again, there's different types of anxiety. It's not just one pattern. People have it shows up in very different ways depending on the person. And so it tries to tease out the different approaches that might be best for that particular pattern. And then the third book is called Staying Sharp, which is really about um, caring for our brains. This might be of, of real interest to your audience. It, it, it was intended more for um, helping people as they age to, to take good care of their brain. But really, uh, the program and the content that we talk about in there, it, it's simply good for anybody who's concerned about, you know, helping their brain function as highly as possible. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time on a Monday morning to um, share with our listeners. I think, I, you know, I really think mental health is an important issue in the TBI world. And um, if anyone is in the Twin Cities, how can they find you? Um, easiest is to go to my, um, my website, partnersinresilience.com, and then there's an email address, um, the contact information on the website. That was partnersinresilience.com, correct? That's right. Yep. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Emmers. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, it. Amy. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you got some great information from Dr. Emmers. And if you would like to catch any of the replays, you can find those all at spacesoftbi.com and click on the podcast series tab at the top. And also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And have a great day, everyone, and I will see you all again next time.